Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. And I'm Michael Gallagher with Nashville Hockey Now. You can follow me on Twitter at MG Sports underscore. You, you don't call it X, right? You don't like in your daily life walk around town telling folks like, yeah, oh. I saw I read on X the other day, right? No, it's it's Twitter. It's been Twitter. It'll always be Twitter. I, I oh, Elon Musk is an idiot. <laughs> nobody walks around town saying like, man, I saw this on Meta the other day. It's not yeah. nobody, nobody says that. Uh, anyway, uh, follow us on the Twitter machine there uh, and get to us there as well. And here's what I'll say. I know we had some folks asking about a gold standard fantasy hockey league. And if enough of you want to want to join and tweet at us at MG Sports underscore at Braden Gall, not only could, will we app, will I absolutely take the time to set it up, uh, get everybody involved. I'll I'll be the commissioner. I will rule benevolently, and um, I will also. This is also what we can do. I will. It will force Michael Gallagher to come to Nashville and go to Jasper's. I mean, I live in Hendersonville, so I'm not driving from, you know, Pennsylvania to Nashville. But yes, <laughs> I have it, been to Jasper's twice. I probably my goal is to go at least one more time before the start of the regular season on October 10th. Yeah, that, that thing is coming up quick, by the way, the start of the regular season. But that is going to be the vast majority of the show today. Give me 20 I, days. I, I'll get you there. <laughs> uh, the vast majority of the show is going to be the questions that we have, the, the interesting storylines. As we enter training camp, which begins the day that this comes out on Thursday, September 21st, you mentioned it. The start of the season is October 10th, so we are right around the corner. So a lot of conversation about what do we want to see out of training camp for this Nashville Predators team with a lot of questions at basically every level of the entire organization. No pressure. Uh, But that also means we only have that amount of time to execute what could be a fantasy league. So if enough of you tweet at me and Michael. We will absolutely set it up, and then we'll see if we can all get together at Jasper's and host the fantasy draft, drink some beer, you know, hang out. For all, all the beers are on are on me. How about that? I'll buy the I'll buy your beers if you want to join the league, and I'll be your and I'll be your benevolent commissioner. Uh, and I'm assuming <laughs> I will be an automatic W for most people. <laughs> yeah, fantasy fantasy hockey is a little bit more intricate than fantasy football. Your lineup, you literally have to change it every single day. A lot, and instead man. of instead of just having like 10 12 players you're responsible for you have 25 to 30 so i i tried fantasy hockey once i i gave up halfway through the season because it was just too much because i was also reporting and working full-time and how you people do it i don't know if you are a fantasy hockey player if you want a fantasy hockey league you have mad respect for me because it takes a lot of time and effort to to do agree. that agree and that is why if enough of you want to do it we will set it up for you guys and again That'll force Michael Gallagher to come into town and go to Jasper's, the proud and wonderful and amazing longtime sponsor of this here podcast. Jasper's, <laughs> the next evolution of the sports bar. Go to Jasper's, everybody. Okay, um, the schedule coming up. Thursday, the 21st, three practices. Friday, three practices and a scrimmage. You got three practices and a scrimmage, I believe, on Saturday. Then three more practices on Sunday. Then you get two games against Florida, uh, 1 o'clock, 5 p.m., 1 p.m. and 5 p.m. on Monday against Florida. And then you get another exhibition game against Tampa on Wednesday. And by the end of next week, we're off and running and we're we're back to like regular weeks of practice outside of training camp. Uh, so it's it's going to be a wild couple of weeks here. You've got a new general manager, a new head coach, a new coaching staff. You know, your, your, your star defenseman, your star goalie are basically the same, but we have no idea what the top three or four lines <laughs> could, could look like. Uh, and we asked we asked a lot of questions last week. Adam uh, filled in for you, Michael, and 
we asked a lot of questions, sort of just what are we looking forward to in camp and what are the things we want to know about this team? And so I'm going to get you to answer some of those. But before we do that, I want you to give me, as we sit here, taping the day before camp opens, but this comes out of the day that camp starts, training camp, what is the thing? What is the top question that you need to know, that you want to know, that you think fans care about going into training camp that you need to learn through the course of these next three weeks? Yeah, I think my my biggest question that I have is how different does this team look under Andrew Burnett compared to how it looked under John Hines the last three and a half seasons? And I think that's my my main question is we all know what kind of coach he wants to be, or at least the coach that he and Barry Trotz have said he was in his presser, that he's going to attack the puck, be aggressive, offensive minded, try and play with the puck as much as you can. That's all great. Do the Predators have the players to play that way? Because the Florida Panthers did when when he was the coach of the Panthers in 21-22. And, and that team, look, they had what? The fifth-ranked power play. They had they were first in the league in goals scored. They led the league in points. Like It was an all-time season. But part of me wonders, if they were that good, why did the, why did the Panthers let Andrew Burnett go and bring in Paul Maurice? Granted, Paul Maurice has a pretty good track record. But if, you, if the team played that well under Andrew Burnett, wouldn't it make sense to keep him? I mean, he just led the team to its first-ever President's Trophy all-time season. I'm not saying that there's anything to be concerned about with Andrew Burnett. Just saying it was it was a little strange to me that he led the team to a really good season, given everything that happened there with uh, Joel Quinville being let go, what, four or five games into the year, and they didn't bring him back. So that's that's my that's what I'm curious about because like I said they led the team they led the league in goals they had a num- the number 5 power play but the, the that Panthers team also had Jonathan Huberdo, Barkov, Reinhardt, Duclair. They had a lot better players than this Predators team does now. So if you're a fan and you're thinking that Brunette's just going to walk in and the Preds are going to be the 2021-22 Florida Panthers, you're going to be in for a disappointment. But I'm curious to see how does this team is this team going to be better this year under Brunette than it was under John Hines, really? Because that's why you make that's why you make coaching changes. That's what John Hines was supposed to do when he came in for Peter Laviolette. I want to know, because I think when his first um, radio hit after accepting the job, Adam was filling in on Robbie and Rex Road and he asked uh, Brunette what the top six was going to look like and who he envisioned being in the top six. And he said, I don't really have a traditional top six. I'm more of a top nine, top 12 kind of guy. I like to interchange things. And we saw that with the Panthers. Kind of like the Seattle Kraken last year, all four lines were interchangeable, and there were players that were on the top line one game, and then three games later they were on the fourth line. And I, I'm curious to see how he handles what this roster is going to look like because he's got a pretty good mix of veterans and young players. And I mean, is Luke Evangelista going to make the roster? Is Philip Tomasino going to make the roster? Is Ryan O'Reilly really the number one center like we all think he's going to be? Where does Cody Glass fit in? There's a lot of questions, so I, I want to see how this team looks on the ice and are they capable of running the up-tempo, high-pressure scoring kind of offensive system that Andrew Burnett has. Yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot there. Um, so Adam actually brought that up, I think, on last week's episode, the, the, that, that question that he asked of Andrew about the lines. And we, can, we didn't spend a ton of time on it, but I think what's interesting is one of my responses and my first initial thought to what you just said is, like, first of all, that's a must-lie situation when you're the brand-new coach. You know, you at the time, I think Johansson and Duchesne were still on the team. Like that was the pre-draft, yeah. pre like you, you it was the second day of the draft. So he's not gonna come out yeah. and be like, Oh yeah, it's gonna be Matt Duchesne and <laughs> Philip Forsberg and whoever. Like he's right. not gonna give you an actual answer. Well, I'm gonna run Philip Forsberg on the left wing with Ryan Johansson and uh so and so on the right wing, and we're gonna run <laughs> a two by four and we're gonna pressure the puck with an inside out zone scale. Like, of course he's not gonna say anything. 
it's your job to not say anything in that situation. I, the the far more interesting question, and we don't really, we're not really going to have an answer to this in camp. We're not going to have an answer to this probably in the short term. And that is, do they need to have set pairings and lineups? I think the best teams ever, like each year, the best couple of teams generally have some pretty defined lineup pecking order. You know, there's some pretty defined roles. It, it, that's that's one thing for a team that's you know competing for a president's trophy. That's one thing for a team that thinks it's going to win a cup that only has like one hole right on the third line left wing or fourth line center. I need to go get a 35 year old who's got one more year left in the tank. Like those teams have those very small holes and can have defined lineups on a team with this much youth. And to your point, we don't know stylistically what they want to do. I would argue that the youth will allow Andrew Burnett to play the style of hockey he wants to play far more than the Luke Shens of the world, <laughs> you know? Like, I yeah. don't think I don't think the Gustav Nyquist and... right. It's not a knock on those guys, but, like, those, those guys are not going to play that speed Seattle pressure sort of game. And I think the young players will give him that, but they, they're probably not ready. So the question is, how defined of the role... How defined do the roles need to be to truly find success or is it okay that you're moving guys around all the time or trying this guy with that guy or this guy on this line or Colton Sissons is now going to play top line right winger. Like it, you can, you can move the guys around and that could be a positive or you can move the guys around and it could be a huge negative. Yeah. And I think with training camp, the actual first on ice practice starting tomorrow, Thursday. So if you're listening to this on Thursday today, um, heading into the first training camp practice, the only thing we know for certain is that Philip Forsberg and Ryan O'Reilly are going to be in the top six. Other than that, we don't really know. Barry Trotz has kind of hinted that Gustav Nyquist might be playing next to Cody Glass. We assume that would be on the second line. They might try Cody Glass as the other first line forward with Forsberg and O'Reilly. They might have Ryan O'Reilly as the second line center, and they might try keeping Cody Glass on the top line. We we don't know. We assume Tommy Novak and Yusuf Parson are going to find roles in the top six, but it wouldn't surprise me if that was your third and fourth line centers. It also wouldn't surprise me if somehow Yakov Trenin was was on the second line. I mean, there's so much flexibility and interchangeability with this lineup. The good thing is Brunette has options. But I think for for the fan base, as, as exciting as this is going into a new season with a new coach and hopefully getting to see some more of these young players, there's a little bit of trepidation of not really knowing who the top six is because pretty much every year, you know, obviously the first couple of years of the franchise, but pretty much every year since then, You've kind of gone into a training camp at least knowing who's going to be the top six, knowing who's going to be the top two defensive pairing, knowing who the starting goalie is. There's a lot of questions, a lot of balls up in the air with this right now. I want to make a quick analogy and see if you think it makes sense or if it's dumb. Um, I, I am a Packers shareholder, Green Bay Packers shareholder. I've been a fan it's dumb. of Green Bay. I can already tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Well done. Um, I mean, I don't know. It's been a lot of winning football um, over the years. So, in fact, if you're looking on, uh, if you're watching, if you watch the video clip, which I hopefully you do at 440 Sports on Twitter, uh, you can see the share of stock like right there over my uh, left shoulder. It's on the wall. Uh, but what's interesting is, like, my wife understands this, and I, I'm curious if if this tracks with Preds fans or not. I, I am more excited about watching the Green Bay Packers this year than I have been in a long time. Jordan Love is not as good as Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> He's not. Um, and it's nothing personal about Aaron Rodgers. He was one of the great, if, you know, I don't really care about all of his 
personal stuff. I think he's an interesting guy. He's hilarious. I don't agree with him on a lot of things, but he's one of the he's probably the best quarterback that I've ever seen play the game potentially. Yes, that includes you, Tommy. But I'm more excited and interested and free of stress going into this season to watch Jordan Love. Now that probably won't happen next year or the year after, but this year I've felt less stress about being a Green Bay Packers fan than I have in a long time because it's just new. And I think I think there is a element of like stress-free release from tension that Preds fans are going into this season. Cause you just mentioned a whole lot of different things that could happen, right? Different decisions with players in different spots. And we just don't know. We, we don't know which players are going to step into roles. We don't know if Tommy Novak can replicate his pace from last year. We don't know if Yusuf Parsonen is a top six player. We don't know if Luke Evangelista has solidified a spot yet. And I think there's something very freeing about, Again, watching, listening to Scott Nickel talk during the broadcast of the Rookie Showcase, like, hey, we got six first-round draft picks out there and a bunch of second-rounders, too. Like, there's a lot of reasons for optimism. It may not come immediately, but I think having a new general manager and a new coach and a bunch of first-round picks and a bunch of prospects vying for playing time on a team that, you know, may not be that great. To me, there's something freeing about that as a fan going into it, as long as you kind of know that's the expectation. Yeah, no, and I, I understand the the analogy. I get it. Because, I mean, as a Packers fan for, what, the last four or five years, it was always looming over your head. Is Aaron Rodgers going to be with the team? Is he going to retire? Is he going to demand a trade? Can they afford to keep paying him $50 million a year? There was always something centered around Aaron Rodgers that could potentially nuke the franchise. And having that entering, like having that above your head entering each season has got to be exhausting. And given Aaron Rodgers' personality and just how he can just, you know, on on the drop of a dime, he could just go from 100 to zero. You never really knew. And that that was something that I think wore on Packers fans. And I think the same thing could be said with Predators fans, because you never really know, is, is this the year John Hines is going to get fired? Is this the year they're going to trade uh, Ryan Johansson or Matt Duchesne? There was just there were so many questions tied to the lineup and the head coach. Well, now the head coach, the, G- is the GM, the GM this is- and the GM, too. Yeah. Poyle is as much Rogers in this analogy as anybody else. Yeah. Now, now I think there's, there's, you may not know what the direction is and hell trots might not even know what the direction is, but at least, you know, the direction is not what it has been the last three years. And I think yeah. that is the thing you may not know what it is. You may not know how this team's going to look, but it's going to be different than what you've had for the last three or four years with John Hines. And I guess the last four or five years under David Poyle and that in itself, it's just kind of a breath of fresh air because, you know, I mean, Barry Trotz, I think on the Predators website, he did an interview with Emma Lingen and he said the, the goal is to kind of shake things up and get more of the young players playing. He can't just go out and field an entire team of rookies. The Ryan O'Reilly signing was necessary because you don't have two or three centers in Milwaukee that can come up and fill two or three roles in Nashville. The Gustav Nyquist signing. I probably wouldn't have gone with him, but I understand signing a veteran winger who scored 20 goals before because you're going to need a veteran presence like that in the lineup. You can't just fill the team, fill fill of uh, Luke Evangelistas and Philip Tomasinos and just send them out there and feed them to the wolves, basically. So I understand the moves that he did. And, and that's just that's part of the plan. I don't and I don't and the good thing is none of them are longer than four years. It, they're two, three, four year deals. I, I see Nyquist probably getting flipped this year or next year. I can see the same thing with O'Reilly. So the Trotz is setting things up the way he wants, but he's also not marrying himself to a player like Ryan Johansson for eight years. So the direction's changing. The roster's going to be changing. And and look, we don't know. Is Joachim Kemmel going to make the opening night lineup? He looked awfully impressive at the rookie showcase. He looked awfully impressive during 
the one day of rookie camp that they that the media got to watch. I mean, this kid has it. Whether he's ready, you know, in 20 days or not, I don't know. But he's someone, if he gets into the lineup and he is that turns into that top six forward, the outlook of this team and the future of this team looks a lot better than it does right now. So, I mean, there's there's so many things we just don't have answers to. And I think we're going to get maybe not all of them, but a good portion of them answered during training camp when we see who's practicing with who, which of the young players is getting more playing time, how long some of these young players are staying on the roster, whether they can keep surviving the cut down days and stuff like that. So uh, being a Packers fan is dumb in your opinion, but the analogy was okay. Yeah, basically. I, 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 will, I will throw out there, I'm also a 49ers fan, so I'm not, a, I'm not huge with the Packers. Well, you guys have ruined our... You guys basically kicked... You guys basically pushed Aaron Rodgers out of town. We might have two Super Bowls if it's not for freaking Kyle Shanahan, but I, that's neither here nor there. Um, so we asked a bunch of questions last week, and I want to kind of rapid fire get your thoughts on some of these because one of them was, like, I, I think... I don't think you need to have a set set of wingers left, right, one through four lines. I don't think you need to have that set. But I do think the pecking order at center can be in, is more important. And I don't think we know, like one of my questions to Adam on the show last week was like, what does this pecking order look like? And I want to I want to kind of start there because I do think you could mess. You always are changing all right, this guy's playing well. He's going to move up to the front, the top line. This guy's struggling. He needs to play this kind of minutes. Like you kind of, all right, this guy's doing this a little differently. Like it's okay to adjust that. I think center's a little different. You want to have some semblance of of stability there. And if O'Reilly, Ryan O'Reilly is your number one top center, which is probably the case. I, I like, I want to know what you would project is, is the best case scenario for the four centermen. Cause I, I lean Cody Glass at two. With Yuso Parson in at three and Colton Sissons at four, that that is how like my brain looks at it and goes o- O'Reilly, Glass, Parson, and Sissons. But we know Tomasino could play center. We know Novak had an incredible pace last year, could play center. I, there's other names, but like, what is it that you think works best from a centerman's situation one through four? Yeah, I like your one through four. The only change I would make is I would swap out Parson with Novak. To me, Novak is a true tried and true center. You can probably play him on the wing. He's not going to be as effective. I would keep him as the number three guy. So I would go O'Reilly one, Glass two, Novak three, Sissons four. And I would, I in my opinion, just from having watched Yusuf Parson in the last couple of years, and as one of the first guys to to beat the Yusuf Parson and drum, I I think he's more effective as a, a winger. He's not when I watch him, his skill set to me doesn't scream center. It just screams go out there and get the puck. When I watch Tommy Novak, he's clearly more comfortable playing with the puck than he is without it. And I think those guys just tend to thrive naturally at center because they see the ice probably a little bit better. They know where their teammates are. There's less pressure on them to go out and score a goal. They can you know, set up plays. They can be a little bit more creative offensively. And I think Parson probably fits better as a winger than a center. Um, but that's that's how I'd go. I'd go Riley one, Glass two, Novak three, Sissons four. And, and also, if you're, not, if you're not married to Colton Sissons as being a center, he's also proven he can be an effective forward. He can play a third or fourth line winger. Maybe you put Parson in as the three center and Novak as the four center. You flip them around. There's options in there. But I, but I think keeping Novak at center and moving Parson into the wing is probably the best bet for this team. I, I could be on board with that. O'Reilly, Glass, Novak, Sissons in that order. 
Um, yeah. I, I can get him is he's you got to think too. This guy's really young. He came in and he earned the respect of his teammates right away. And Forsberg said, I think after like four or five games, he looks like a 10 year veteran to me that that's someone who is adaptable, who can play with pretty much any teammate. And I think he, I think he's someone who his skill set will shine if he's more focused on just going, getting the puck and shooting and doing all that, as opposed to trying to drive the offense, which is what the center's job is supposed to be. Where, where does Dennis uh, Giryanov fit in all of this? The trash can. Wow. <laughs> I've seen him listed as high, projected as high as the second line winger. And that, yeah, some of the sites, I think there's one on Twitter was fat head hockey that had him in the top six. Like, shut up. You don't, you, you don't watch this team. You don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Dennis wow. Giryanov. Wow. Dennis Giryanov doesn't belong on this team, to be honest with you. But I think if he, if he makes the roster, he's probably going to be on the fourth line. Maybe on the third line in certain situations. I just, is he better than Cole Smith? Poison. Do you want do you want Gurianov or do you want Cole Smith on the roster? That's that's what it's going to come down to. Is he better than Cole Smith? He's I had a 20, I think I think the answer is yes. He's had a twenty goal season and Cole Smith hasn't. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I I think though there's a couple of uh, players that I think are linchpins in all of this. And and the bigger questions we asked last last week on the show are which one of these young which of these young players have locked up roster spots and who's going to score goals and those two things go hand in hand. When you're looking at specifically Philip Tomasino and Luke Evangelista, those are the two guys. I don't know, but I think Parsonin is kind of mixed in with this group as well. But it seems like Tommy Novak and Yusuf Parsonin have gotten their spots, right? They, they've kind of acquired their spots. They're going to be on the roster somewhere, probably in the starting 12 for most nights of the season. And, and maybe they sink, maybe they swim. Who knows? Maybe they replicate what they did last year. Maybe they don't. Who knows? But it feels like they're pretty safely in the lineup. Evangelista and Tomasino seem like the two guys that we I, I just in my head in a rebuild at this stage it strikes me as the right time to play them but i'm not an expert at developing young players at the ahl level <laughs> so, so nobody's asking me but those are the two guys that i'm watching in camp going all right have you proven enough to earn a starting roster spot maybe a top six spot for both of them potentially and then can you score goals yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. Um, I don't know if either Evangelista or Tomasino have done enough to to say they've locked up a spot. I think they're definitely the favorites. Um, if you're looking to drive offense and play the offensively aggressive style that Andrew Burnett likes, Luke Evangelista seems like a perfect fit on that top line. And Gover and I talked about this uh, back on It's All Your Fault, and I think we might have mentioned it uh, when he filled in a couple weeks ago too. Evangelista is more of a playmaker than a pure goal scorer. He's the kind of guy that's going to drive the net. If he's there, he's going to chip in the goals. If not, he's not afraid to pass it to someone who has a better advantage. Like he he can be a 20, 30 goal scorer, but he's 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 definitely minimum a 50 point player once he gets going and he's established. I'm not saying expect 50 points out of him as a rookie, but I, I do think that he probably if he if he makes the opening night roster. And he's on the roster for the entire year. I think 50 points is very doable from him, especially playing with people like Forsberg and O'Reilly. I think Tomasino just naturally makes sense on the second line, especially if you're going with Cody Glass and Gustav Nyquist. I think Tomasino makes sense on that second line. Like I said, I've said it numerous times. If he can put up 31 points playing with you know Nick Cousins and, and Michael McCarron and stuff like that on the fourth line, he can easily put up 50 points in a top six role. Those two make sense. Zachary LaRue has an outside shot. I know the team's very high on him. I just don't think he's ready. He's a little bit too young, in my opinion, to be playing regular third or fourth line minutes right now. If this is we're at the same point next year, I think he will be ready. Um, 
And I also think, I know people want to talk about Kemmel. I just don't think he's ready right now. He, it's awfully tempting. He looks very impressive. I think give him at least a half a season in Milwaukee before you call him up. But I will say the only other player outside of Evangelista and Tomasino, who I think is forward-wise, is, is NHL-ready and who it wouldn't surprise me if he made a roster spot is Igor Afanasyev. He's been on the doorstep the last two years in training camp. He's been among the last cuts um, as they're getting down to the opening night roster. He's 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 been right there. Um, the team has kind of asked him to focus more on well being well-rounded and kind of rounding out his defensive game and his mm-hmm. forechecking, all that stuff. That sounds he familiar. That. Yeah. Just ask Ellie Tolan how that went. But uh, Afanasia handled it. He's handled it better. It seems like he he has that well-rounded game right now. And if you're if you're looking for a third, let's say you're looking for a third or fourth line winger, uh, would you rather have Gurianov or would you rather have Cole Smith or would you rather have Afanasiev, who does the same thing both of those guys do defensively, but also has mm. 15 goal potential? Well, what's funny is that a, a third line with Novak and Parson and has plenty of scoring ability for a third line. And in the modern NHL world, you kind of need a little more scoring from those third and fourth lines than, you know, old heads like me who grew up with hockey in the 90s where, you know, you don't even need anything from the third and fourth line offensively. Yeah. Um, it's a different game today. And so I think with those two, like that's what well, that's, to- that's the beauty with Afanasiev. He, he can give you whatever you want. The dude's six foot four and 220 pounds. He's a power forward. If you if you want physicality, he's got it. If you want scoring, he's got it. He can go whatever line you need him on. Is he not a lesser version of Yakov Trenin, though? Like isn't Trennan already that guy? Not to I like, think, not to like, pitch in, not to pigeonhole all big burly Russians into the same thing, but like, no, I, I get it. I think he's less physical than Yakov Trennan, but has higher upside as a goal scorer than Yakov Trennan. Okay, that's fair. Um, and then of course there's Keeper Sherwood. I guess that's a part of this conversation. Uh, there's a few others. I, I wouldn't call him one of the like sort of young prospects that's trying to prove themselves. I mean, he kind of just feels like a guy who's earned a spot, and while while he is you know, has value to the team. He He's not one of those yeah. guys that you're trying to, trying to build and develop for top line minutes over the course of the, you got to think too. Sherwood's 28. If he was going to be yeah. a legit force right by now, he would be. So I, I think you're looking at probably Tomasino or not Tomasino. I think you're looking at Sherwood, uh, Gurianov, Jankowski, Smith, McCarron, Afanasiev, all for maybe one or two spots in the yeah, bottom yeah. six. Yeah, I, I agree with that. We'll get to the defense and the goaltending in just a second, but uh, go to Jasper's, of course, the next evolution of the sports bar. Again, tweet at MG Sports underscore at Braden Golf. You want to shoot us some tweets. Uh, that's right. They're not X's or posts. They're tweets. If you want to send them to us and we get enough of you guys, I will get you guys signed up for a fantasy league, and then we're going to go to Jasper's. We're going to play air hockey to figure out who drafts for the first pick. We're going to do all kinds of fun stuff if you guys want to sign up and want to get a hockey fantasy hockey league together. I know there are hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of you guys listening. So if you want to jump in, uh, please shoot us tweets. The first, I'm not going to say first 10, but like maybe the, the 10 who make the best case for themselves. Uh, and if you've been a loyal listener and I kind of know your name on Twitter, then you'll probably have a good chance of getting in. We've already had a couple of people ask about it. So uh, let's, let's set it up and let's get it done and let's make Michael actually visit the proud and amazing and wonderful partner and sponsor of this year podcast Jasper's over on West end where the parking is free and the food is spectacular. Uh, okay. Um, is there any other, uh, any other offensive? So like, here's one of the questions we, that, that Adam brought to the table last week, which is, is Philip Forsberg dependable? If you want to listen to that conversation, go, go back. I mean, we've kind of laid out all the data and the stats. I think he can deliver exactly what his career production has been for his career, which I think is 0.38 goals per game and like 0.8 points per game. The problem is he hasn't played 82 games since like the cup run. 
And so if you're giving him 60, 65 games, the dependability question becomes an injury question. And frankly, it's the same exact question we have been asking for the better part of five or six seasons. Yeah, I think that's kind of what you pencil him in at. Philip Forsberg has shown, and it's a shame because the fir- his first three full seasons, he played all 82 games. And you're right, the, the 16-17, the cup run, that was the last year that he played a full season. But, I mean, you can pencil him in for 62 to 67 games somewhere in there. The good thing is, if you look at the 2021-22 season, he only played 69 games, but he had 42 goals and 84 points. So even even if he is only playing, if he, if he is missing you know, 15% of the season, 20% of the season, whatever, he has shown that he can still put up crazy good numbers in that limited amount of time. The, the, the sad thing is you can only really count on him for 65 games at best. At least that's what he's shown for the last five or six seasons. So I do think he's dependable in the fact that if he plays his 65 games, you can probably expect somewhere between 30 goals and 65-ish points. But dependable as in holding up for a whole season, I would say probably not. Yeah, um, I, I agree. I don't, you know, I don't think people know a ton about Nyquist and, and O'Reilly. I think people know O'Reilly certainly a lot more because of his time in St. Louis. Um, but there's not a ton. I mean, they're both basically top uh, nine players. I think clearly O'Reilly's your top line center at this point. But I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of this this lineup shuffle throughout the course of camp and throughout the course of the first. Again, this this speaks to your commentary about Andrew Burnett. How fast are we going to know whether or not he's an upgrade on John Hines? It could be 60, 70, 80. I mean, it could be two seasons. It could be 60 games before we start to see things take hold. Like, again, remember John Hines in the middle of a pandemic with no training camp, the team sucked. And then the team was great after that, in that first season. So we just don't, you just don't kind of really know um, in terms of what the strategy is going to be from a coach or the style or how they're going to, you know, the attacking forechecking style versus how they enter the zone and exit the zone. And are they going to play a hybrid D man, man, to man scheme or a zone scheme? Like it's, you just kind of don't know that stuff and it takes a long time to figure it out. So again, that to me is the freeing part because there's no pressure to learn anything in the first week, two weeks, three weeks, it, it's about 50 games. And then let's reevaluate where all these players are in 50 games. So uh, I want to talk if it it helps. I think you can think of Nyquist as a a little bit faster. Craig Smith, maybe not as much with the 20 goal scoring seasons because he only had three of them. Um, Nyquist, not Smith. Um, But I think that's kind of best case scenario for him. And I think with O'Reilly, he's Ryan Johansson plus probably about 10 to 12 points. I mean, he before last season, he went nine straight years with at least what was it? 54 points. He had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, 20 goal seasons. I think he's capable of giving you 20 goals and 60 ish points. Um, so I think that that those are kind of comparables, maybe not perfect case scenarios, but those are comparables that at least Preds fans have a, a basis of, of what to judge them off of. So I think we've started this conversation every single year around this time about their six defensemen. I feel like I've since I started covering this team in 2016, I feel like I have said basically the same thing every summer and every summer. It hasn't really been true other than maybe that first one, which is, man, if so and so and so and so are your third line defensemen, I feel like you're in pretty good shape. And I think I could say that again today about, man, if Dante Fabro and Alex Carrier are your third line defenseman with Jeremy Lozon and his contract sitting on the bench. Uh, you know what? That's a pretty good deep, deep defense core on the blue line. The problem is, is you, you got new faces. You've got old legs. 
you know, Yossi and McDonough are still work like they're still holding on to what they are. They're not going anywhere. They could certainly be paired again as the top line center. But like I asked this last week, and I'm gonna ask you this. So one of these three guys, Dante Fabro, Alex Carrier, and Jeremy Lozon, one of them needs to become a a a bona fide, legitimate top four defenseman once and for all. I'm sick and tired of the Oh, lots of talent, lots of upside. Okay, a good chunk of playing time. Okay, then he then re, then regression. Somebody has to decide what they are. And last week, Adam and I both agreed it was Fabro that had the best chance to do that. Who do you think has the best chance to step in? And you know whether that's a trade of Tyson Berry, whether Luke Shen just isn't working out, which wouldn't be a surprise. An injury to a very old Ryan McDonough or Roman Yossi, God forbid. Which one of those guys is best suited to step in and play bona fide? top four blue line minutes uh, it's it's a toss-up for me i i'm gonna i'm gonna have to go alex carrier just because i i feel like he he had that one really good i forgot how many games it was uh trial run based with roman yossi he played top line minutes in the playoffs and he held his own um was that the Favre, carolina was that the carolina series maybe i think so yeah they were they played Favre's, in that weird divisional set schedule yeah, Fabro has been around a while. I feel like if he was going to be a top four defenseman, granted he's only twenty five, I feel like if he was going to be a top four defenseman, we wouldn't be having this debate right now. He's he's had several years, sixteenth uh, overall pick. I just feel like with that kind of pedigree, you know, you you expect more from him. And uh, I mean, we were going back to whenever they the Predators traded for Kyle Terrace and they were trying to land Matthew Shane before that. The big debate was who's more valuable in a trade, Dante Fabro or Sam Gerrard. And we saw that it ended up being Sam Gerrard. Um, I think Carrier probably has a better shot, but I'm going to give him like a 2% better shot. And that's just because he's a little bit older. He's been in the Predators organization a little bit longer by that. I mean, he was in Milwaukee for a couple of years before Fabro was around. Um, I'm just, I just don't see it with Jeremy Lozon trading a second round pick for him was a terrible mistake. Paying him $2 million a year for four years was a bad mistake. I honestly, I don't even think Jeremy Lozon's better than Jake Livingstone is. No, you've made that point very clear. It's funny. You said Kerry got to Milwaukee a few years ahead of Fabro. He also stayed in Milwaukee a few years after Fabro. So yeah, not necessarily like, I, I do think my argument for Fabro is just that you, you already said it is, is the youth and there's still a chance to develop into a player at age 25, like you can still become who you're supposed to be at that age. Whereas, yeah. whereas Carrie pretty much is who he is at this point. Um, they, they both can, they both have the opportunity to turn into that. I'm not sold on either one of them at this point, but I would give Carrie the advantage because he is a year older and he has a few more seasons under his belt in the predator system. He has played oftentimes pretty well with Roman Yossi. And, and I think, I mean, look, Barry Trotz has made it clear that he went out and got Luke Shen to be Roman Yossi's protector. I'm not buying Roman Yossi and Luke Shen as the top pairing on this defense over a full season. And if, if that doesn't work out, the problem is it's not as simple as the Predators taking the three best defensemen, which are Yossi, McDonough, and Barry, putting them all on the left side, and then taking the other right. three, mixing and matching. That's Ideally, that's what you would like. They don't have the, the, the luxury of doing that. I think it's going to be McDonough and Barry on the second pairing probably Shen with with Yossi. And then you're looking at Fabro and Carrier maybe playing together. Yep. Maybe Livingstone works his way in there. Lozon probably on the bench. I mean, there's trying to figure out the log jam here is quite interesting. Well, and they have three. I mean, obviously Carrier, Barry and Yossi have a similar stylistic approach to the game. Better skaters, better puck movers, you know, Shen and McDonough offensively. Yeah. But McDonough and Shen probably play their role. So I always understand wanting to break up 
and that's why I always was like, I, I'm with you. I enjoyed watching Carrier and Yossi play, but I felt like they were too similar in how they played the game, not quality, but how they played the game. And I always thought, okay, that was good for that chunk of time, but it's not something that would last long term. So I, I think it's, I agree. I think it's Yossi and Shen top line, McDonough and Barry second line. Barry's a very good power play defenseman, can put the puck on the net. Uh, and then Fabro and Carrier at the bottom six. I mean, but again, if you look at that, you go, oh, okay. Fabro and Carrier. Third line pairing. That's looks like a pretty good third pair. Looks like a pretty good top six, but th- that's the same thing we've said every year for like eight years in a row. Hashtag tweets from 2018. God, it's so nuts. It's so nuts. Something has to give on the blue line. So we'll, we'll see what happens when we get to training camp, which brings us to the one area of the team that we probably haven't had to worry about since, Oh, I don't know ever, maybe 2003, 2005. I don't know when the last time the national predator fan base went into a hockey season worried about the goaltending. UC Saris, of course, you've got Yaroslav Askarov in Milwaukee ready to come up at any point. Um, you got Lincoln in there in the backup role. I mean, you certainly want to be careful of usage again with UC Saros, as always, because of just the amount of time he spent on the ice and his size. But like, I, I don't know, he just keeps trucking along and I don't know why he would be any worse. And it's sort of like with Forsberg and Yossi, like you just have to assume you're going to get career standards out of UC Saros, Roman Yossi, and Philip Forsberg, even if that means fewer games for Forsberg. I mean, I don't know. If this if this team is going to contend for a playoff spot at all, in any way, shape, or form, Roman Yossi, UC Saros, and Philip Forsberg have to be at their career averages. Just full stop. Yeah, I mean, I would like to see Saros maybe get a little bit more rest. They when they signed Kevin and Lincoln before last offseason, they they kind of pointed to like we did this because David Riddick didn't wasn't really that good. We think Lincoln is better than what people give him credit for because he was playing for bad Blackhawks teams. We we saw Saros' starts went from 67 down to 63. So I guess Lincoln gave him four games of relief. Um, I would like to see that number around 60. I'm sure the Predators would as well. And I think Kevin Lincoln is good enough to to give him that. And I think it's just kind of one of those things you didn't really know what you were getting out of Lincoln in last year because his numbers did look bad because those Blackhawks teams he played for were terrible. He showed when he was on a, on an, at least a decent team, he's actually a pretty good goaltender. And I even made the point last year. I said, if the predators do trade Saros in the off season, which they didn't, that Lincoln was good enough to be a one-year stopgap to get to a scar next year. So I think the goaltending situation looks pretty good. Obviously, if the Predators get to the playoffs, if they make any noise in the playoffs, it's going to be UC Saros that gets them there and gets them to do it. So yep. I, I think it's all about kind of just bringing his workload down because you look at he plays an obscene amount of games. He plays obscene amount of minutes. There's just I think Connor Hellebuck is the only goalie that has played more minutes and had more shots and more saves against him over the last three years. So you would like to see Saros not have to stand in front of the firing squad every single game. But Unfortunately, that's just kind of where this team is. Yeah, I was going to say good luck with that. By the way, uh, I I did not mean to say I mixed Kari Lettinen and Kevin Lankinen together. I apologize. I said the wrong. Kari Lankinen. <laughs> yeah, I, I said the wrong first name there, so I apologize. Kevin. Kevin is his name. Uh, I apologize. So, uh, okay. Well, I, I don't know if there's anything else from camp you want to discuss. I think watching how the defense pairings line up is interesting, but kind of predictable whereas i think the forward lineup as usual with every hockey team in in nashville watching what the coach does with that 12-man lineup is always fascinating through camp and then again it's not going to happen in one week two weeks 20 games it takes 50 games 
minimum before we can start making really hard and fast conclusions about players and, and roles on the team. So, uh, I mean, that's what Matias Ekholm said last year. It was going to take about 50 games before he and McDonough finally gelled together. They didn't get the shot, didn't get the chance to make it that far, but he yeah, even tried yeah. telling you. Yeah, he did. He did. Um, and if anybody knows, been around long enough to know, he he certainly knows. Uh, okay, so otherwise, enjoy. Uh, you got scrimmages. You got two get doubleheader on Monday. You got Tampa next week, and so we'll be able to react to some of that and some of what we've seen at practice. Uh, we'll see what happens. My, my wife has a broken collarbone, so I'm hoping to get out to practice at some point so I can report back to you guys what exactly we saw. But uh, right now, I'm taking care of not not just a five and a six year old, but also a uh, 37-year-old as well. So uh, I'll do my best. <laughs> I'll do I'll do my best to get out there uh, at some point uh, over the course of the next week. Uh, all right. So I want to get to the Mike Babcock story just because it's absolutely hilarious and on, only because it's not like as bad as like it's made out to be. But also there's like shades of bad, you know, so we'll get to that. But but quickly, we do need to address this because we I don't think we've talked about it on the show. Uh, but Andrew Burnett had a golf cart DUI charge in February. That's right. And the charges were dropped, I believe, in this last week. Uh, he seemed he addressed it on on local media when he first was hired. He talked about how you know he expects a positive outcome. He basically took his medicine and and paid the fine, and the charges have been removed, and and he's going to move about his business. Um, the the video, if you want to go back and watch it, you know, go for it. It's six months old, eight months old at this point. Uh, I I don't think some of his 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 <laughs> some of the reporting and the claims about what the video does probably doesn't do that. <laughs> Uh, he probably got what he was supposed to get out of the deal, but you know, look, if this is one of those things that everybody knows what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do, I, I don't think we need to sit on here and wax poetically about drinking and driving. So, uh, a golf cart in, in Florida, at least it, that's what it was. I doubt he ever does it again. And, uh, the charges have been dropped. So there we go. Yeah, if you if you want to read more details about what actually happened in the video and all that, I have it linked in a story at Nashville Hockey Now. Uh, basically, the the criminal charges got dropped against him. Um, I think he was also facing two counts of fleeing or running a stop sign or something like that. Um, well, he, he walked. He was doing the line thing, and he was like, obeying oh, a stop or yield sign. That's what it was. Well, and he was he was doing the the sobriety test. And he was like walking the line, and then he he basically just like starts to walk off. He's like, I'm going to call my lawyer. Yeah, he took like one like, step. No, 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 no. He took one step and then he's like, I'm gonna call my lawyer. And then as he's walking away, if anything, I mean the video doesn't make him look good. It definitely doesn't make him look as bad as probably most people were envisioning. But if anything, it makes the police officers look overly aggressive because he's just like calmly walking away and they grab him and start dropping F bombs and like if you try to fight me, you're gonna regret it. And it's a situation that easily could have been avoided. I give credit to Andrew Burnett on the radio. Um, he admitted when he first got hired, he was like, I feel terrible about it. I put, shouldn't have put anyone in that situation. Yeah, yeah. I'm expecting it to all work itself out. Seems like it did. It is one of those things that I'm sure he's not proud of, but I highly doubt he's. we're going to have to worry about this with this being a, a recurring theme of his personal life. So. Yeah, I, th I, th I think an accident that could have been avoided by not drinking and driving is number one. That's the number yeah. one. And I don't. nobody needs to be scolded at our age. Um, but it is, we, we know the dangers of it. I, I'll say this, I think, for those that think that this was some like the Nashville Predators made their decision in in full transparency of all this stuff. There there oh, is yeah. no there is no way that this was not all like completely taken into consideration. They knew what every outcome of this case exactly. was. Exactly. Exactly. They hired him. So yeah, exactly. So it, you know, 
they're all in it together but again it's not some it's it's not good it's not, it's not good but it's not it's not some giant red flag the question is that said ever drink and drive no exactly here's the question is asking is going through your players uh photo roll on their phone better or worse than drinking a few beers and driving a golf cart through a retirement community in florida what's worse depends on if your name is mike babcock or not so if you do not know the story, Mike Babcock was hired by the Columbus Blue Jackets to be the head coach. This is a guy who's got a pretty interesting background. Uh, go do some Googling if you want to dig, dig it all up. I'm not going to mention everything. Uh, he was the head coach for the Columbus Blue Jackets for 78 days. <laughs> and he has resigned. Officially, the announcement was that he resigned. Um, it doesn't seem like that's what happened, but that's what they're saying happened. Uh, before he coached a single game for the Columbus Blue Jackets. His captain and all a lot of the more prominent players on the team, Goudreau, for example, have all come out and said this was a nothing burger, basically. And I have a big I'm a big believer in you cannot be more offended than the quote unquote victim in any situation. We like to pile on in social media situations. We like to do a lot of like blaming and finger pointing and dunking. But like if if two people get into a debate and one person says, no, no, it's not that big a deal. Then no, none of us, none of us on Twitter or social media have the right to like pile on, in my opinion. So this is what's really strange about this. Mike Babcock is apparently trying, quote unquote, like trying to get to know his players, I guess, and is saying to them, "Hey, let me borrow your, let me put your photos up on the on the airplay on the big screen in a team meeting," and is like, it's just very weird. You, you know, I've got things on this phone, on my phone that I don't want people to see. <laughs> like I have photos that are just for me and my wife. I have, I have a, I have a picture of the Blackhawks logo that actually looks like a scrotum. <laughs> it looks like a hairy scrotum. And if you are going to judge me and my character, because I have a picture of the Blackhawks logo that looks like a ball sack on my phone, I don't know what to tell you. So I don't know exactly what his goal was, this coach going through all these players' phones and then putting them up on the screen. Apparently, some players thought that Mike Babcock was going through their phones too long, and it is clearly a violation of privacy, and there's no, there's, it's obvious why the NH NHLPA got involved in this. But there's also a bunch of players who were like, yeah, this was just us trying to get to know each other, and like he was kind of throwing up. Like, I don't know. If, if you and I were having a meeting, and I was like, hey, let me see some pictures of like the dog, and why don't you throw some pictures up of you and the the family or, Hey, where did you guys go on vacation last summer? And you throw up some photos of it. I think that's one thing. It's another thing for me to ask you to give me your phone and for me to scroll through it for long, for like any amount of time, I guess. Is that a fireable offense? I have no idea. Normally it wouldn't be a fireable offense, but when you have the track record that Mike Babcock has, it becomes a fireable offense. When you are a scumbag and you have a history of being a scumbag, you don't get the benefit of the doubt. If this were to, if this were to happen to Andrew Burnett, this would have been it would have been talked about for maybe a day and then it would have been forgotten. But because you are Mike Babcock and you do have the the history that you have of player abuse and just being just being a dick, if I'm being honest, <laughs> when you have that kind of a track record, you don't get the benefit of that in the situation. He could have honestly just been trying to get to know his players. We will never know because of because his, of what his reputation is. This could have been completely innocent. But the way it was presented and then given his history, no one really believed him. It, 
he could have very well walked up to Boone Jenner and said, Hey, can I see your phone? I want to see a couple photos of your kids or your dog or whatever. But because it was presented from someone else who wasn't in the room. But who does that anyway, though? Like, forget the history and forget what Boone Jenner said. Who, by the no, way, Jen- Jenner said, like, oh, no big deal. There are better ways to get to know your players than by going through their camera roll. It's just weird. It's just weird. Give me your phone so I can look at your stuff. That's weird. Yeah, and I, and I agree. And I think it's because it's Mike Babcock. It was probably blown up to be worse than it was. But because it was Mike Babcock that got the NHLPA involved, that launched an investigation, that that turned all of this into the big circus it was. And if if the if the NHLPA had not gotten involved, I still think Babcock would be the head coach of the, of the Blue Jackets. I, they I agree. Apparently, they apparently didn't see anything wrong with them hiring him. They even credited him and said what a great job he did in the 78 days he was head coach and all this stuff. And it's so weird. It's so weird. I think it's one of those things. And if you look on on social media, and I agree. There, there are a lot of people asking, like, if this is so bad, why is Yarmo Kekalainen still the GM of, of the Blue Jackets? Like, you knew who you were hiring, dude. You knew this was a possibility. Yeah. You knew he had a bad reputation among the players. You knew he was someone that just rubs everyone the wrong way. And and I feel like the, the statement that Boone Jenner released after all this came out was very much coerced. I don't think that was him at all being like, oh, it's really not a big deal. That was that was to save face. So this whole situation was just kind of... Well, it didn't... T- to, to your point about like your reputation and the opportunities and the preconceived notions, we just discussed the head coach of the Nashville Predators being hired while dealing with a DUI charge and like nobody really caring all that much about it because it was out of character for him. And right. And a guy looking at some photos getting fired for it. It's because it's the, it's, it's who you are, the track record and it's your behavior. I, I'll say this, and this is, this applies to a lot of different people in the past for the Predators. You know, Austin Watson, Mike Ribeiro, I'm not trying to lump people together here, but just things happen in life. I think it's important to remember that you are not your worst decision in your life. You're not your best decision in your life. You are the collection of your decisions in your life. And I don't, again, just Google Mike Babcock and go read up on it. Um, I mean, ultimately, if your players don't feel like they can trust you or there's not that that respect of of a boundary, it's not going to work out. So even even if he wasn't fired right now, I, I doubt we'd be talking about Mike Babcock as the head coach next year, just because I, I just don't feel like the players trust him, and I don't think he's someone that they want to play for, to be honest. I, I just can't imagine ever being employed by a company, sitting down in a meeting, and having to physically hand my phone to somebody. Like There are some, there are some things that we will allow in this country from a workforce standpoint that aren't cool. But like people giving up their phones and their privacy, that ain't one of them. This is this equivalent of someone starting off in the Preds PR team, going into Sean Henry's office and him taking their phone and projecting all of their photos up on the wall, everyone in the meeting to see. And just scrolling through it. That would never happen. Yeah. It's just like, no, of course not. Of course it would not happen. (laughs) That's, that's, I'm looking at the ball sack photo. (laughs) Isn't that brilliant? Isn't that awesome? And I don't want anyone to judge me because I've got a Chicago Blackhawks logo saved on my photo roll deep in the photos. In the Predators locker room, there would be a lot of laughs shared. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I think whoever, whatever artist, I need to credit the artist. Whoever did this is fantastic. I've had it on my phone since, here's the, the, the date, April 22nd, 2017. It's been on my phone for six years. I'm surprised there isn't a, a diehard day one season ticket holder out there that doesn't have that tattooed on their back somewhere. Oh. <sighs> God, the back would be weird. <laughs> maybe her arm, whatever. Yeah, maybe a forearm. Cool tattoos these days. Oh man, 
Uh, okay. All right. Uh, anything else you want to throw up there for the, for the good folks? I think that just about does it, man. Um, yeah, just go, go do some reading on Mike Babcock, I guess. So, yeah. And if you're interested in goings on for the Preds, go check out Nashville hockey. Now we have the the story up on the details of the, the DUI for Andrew Burnett and kind of what happened there. If you want to educate yourself on that, Nick Keezer did a really good wrap up job of how the Preds fared in the rookie showcase. He's also got a great feature story on Ryan Ufko, who is the co-captain for um, UMass. UMass yeah. here. Um, there's rumblings that he could sign his entry-level contract after his junior season ends at the end of this year and possibly join the Admirals next year and stuff. And we also have a bunch of training camp stuff as well. Clay will have a story today. Um, he did one last week touching on the, the the kind of the forwards on the roster bubble and who to watch for in training camp. We'll have another one on the defenseman um today who's kind of on the roster bubble we just talked about it a little bit and he'll have a little bit more in depth on there too so all your training camp stuff for preds go check out nashville hockey now we'll have a good we will have you covered over the next couple of weeks until the regular season starts all right i want two easter egg guarantees from you at the end of this show will luke evangelista be on the opening night roster yes will phil tomasino be on the opening night starting roster Yes, question mark. <laughs> that's a guarantee. That's a guarantee right there. I put it at I don't know, I'd say 80-20 he is on the roster. I think they're both on it. I think they both are on it. I don't think they have many options, man. <laughs> Unless I mean it makes in. kids not on the roster, trade him because what are you doing with him? It's the All same right. I think he should be on the roster. So yes, I'll go all 100% in. Yes on Tomasino, yes on Evangelista. All right, I'm with you. I'm with you. Go to Jaspers, everybody, of course. Uh, and again, tweet us at MG Sports underscore at Braden Gall. At, just beg and plead to be on the Fantasy Squad. And if you've got really funny uh, Chicago Blackhawks art, send it send it our way, and that'll probably get you into the Fantasy League. So don't don't, don't mind if we do. Um, and if we get enough people, then, hey, maybe we'll go do a Fantasy Draft at Jaspers. Free parking, centrally located. Bring your laptop. We'll do a whole thing. We'll have some fun with it. Uh, beers are on me, so shoot us some messages at MG Sports underscore at Braden Gall. Otherwise, rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Promote. Go check out all the other great shows across the 440 Sports Network. Make sure you check out Nashville Hockey Now as well. Other than that, enjoy the beginning of training camp. It has begun, Michael. It has begun. We will be at it. We will. I can't speak. Have a great weekend. We'll be back next week. Talk to you then. <laughs>